Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grombacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Kate Dorr. Kate, are you ready to do this? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, George. Yeah, excellent. Let's do this. Kate is a candidate for the CFP designation, a personal finance writer, a speaker, a blogger, and a writer. And I'm excited to have you on. Kate, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely. So I actually came from the entertainment business. I had kind of an interesting path into finance like a lot of us. And I was a concert promoter for most of my 20s. And basically, I started Cashville Skyline, my blog, as a way to hold myself accountable to get my money together and change careers. Um, I burned out from producing. I was producing concerts and festivals all over the United States and Canada, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, but I realized that it wasn't a sustainable career path long term. And I just I really wanted to to help people. And it, it changed my life, getting my money under control. And I was able to basically take a break for a few months, um, saved up enough to do that and transition into online marketing, which is a big piece of my business now. And um, I've actually been self-employed for the last about year and a half. Um, I was doing social media marketing and content marketing for an SEO tools company that laid off, uh, pretty much laid off the whole company a couple summers ago. And I had started the CFP education requirement at that point in time. And it was almost like this sign, like now I can finally finish <laughs> and take the exam. Um, and I had been doing a lot of personal finance writing as well. And I had been doing some social media consulting for financial planners. So I have my businesses is like a content marketing business for all things, you know, personal finance. And then I've done some, also I've done some uh, debt budgeting and debt coaching on the side, but I'm not yet a, reg a registered investment advisor. So I'm not doing comprehensive financial planning quite yet. Got it. Excellent. So in your mind's eye down the road, a couple of years from now, when everything is clicking on all cylinders and someone were to say, what do people need to know about your work? What will you say? So my dream is having a virtual RIA, um, having a virtual financial planning firm and working with creative professionals, uh, helping people, you know, build their best lives. Um, I've, I'm a creative professional myself. And so basically making, freeing up the time, you know, taking control of money to free up the time to do what you really love, you know, whatever that be creating music, art, um, starting your dream, small business, whatever that may be. Uh, that's what I really want to do. And that's what I've been doing myself. Um, so I hope to just basically expand, expand the business that I currently have. And, and I also plan to continue writing. Um, and, you know, of course, sharing my own content through my blog and various other various other sites in the meantime too. But long-term, I definitely want to have a, a financial planning firm virtually. And I would love to do some group coaching um, to reach this particular demographic of folks. Got it. I like it. I, I, I know it's very much needed. And one of the things that I like to say is that uh, financial peace of mind allows us to more fully pursue our passions. And so it sounds like we're coming from the same place where I don't want people to be worrying about money all day long. I'd rather have them focus their time and attention or whatever they want to focus on um, without having to be worried about money. So, Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
So when we're talking about just personal financial wellness and, and all that good stuff, when you read about the percentages or the statistics rather about so few people are in a good financial position, um, it's kind of a big question, but why do you think that we find ourselves in that position? So why is the work that we're doing so important? Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of things at play, you know, from uh, from a I guess from a macro approach, you know, there's all kinds of challenges um, just in the United States, certainly, you know, healthcare and, um, you know, wage stagnation, cost of housing, cost of living overall. But then even just um, dealing with things from a mental health perspective um, and even, you know, certainly financial literacy. But a lot of it is, you know, behavioral. Um, we aren't really taught um you know, how to deal with money at all, um, at any point in our life. And I, I know that some schools are starting to, in terms of public education, they are starting to introduce some of that, which is great to see. But even beyond that, it, you know, it really does come down to, um, you know, say impulsive spending or things like trying to keep up with everyone around you and, and put on a front of doing better than you are. It really kind of speaks much deeper than financial literacy alone. And I think until we address some of those things that we're probably going to continue to see, some of the, you know, the challenges that we do. And then of course, you know, some of those, some of those bigger problems are going to be, you know, a much harder thing to tackle. But, you know, what we can do is try to get the message out there, you know, teach folks, you know, the basics so that they can empower themselves to try to make improvements in their lives and hopefully move things in the right direction, even if it is incremental changes. I think that that's a, I think that that's a big Part of it is making incremental changes and for people to to hopefully begin to embrace a little bit more that you're not going to you're, you're not going to go from where you are today to being wildly financial successful all at once. It's just going to take small bites. So I appreciate that very much. Um, you mentioned uh, a, a little bit earlier that you wanted to start a community and I think that community plays such an important role in being successful with anything. If it's losing weight or if it's being physically healthy, um, if you have a strong community around you, I think your, your, your odds of being successful are greatly increased. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. And as someone who has, um, I can certainly relate from a health perspective. <laughs> um, I'm actually part of a body positive group myself, um, a group that I've been part of for a couple years. And it's been amazing the breakthroughs that you can have, you know, say like at a group or discussing and support, you know, whether it be in a Facebook group or in person or even like a phone call or a video meeting. It's there's just it's so much that can you can learn from others. Um, and it's, it's just really inspiring, honestly, to see other people reach their goals. And so I do think that it, it group, you know, groups of any kind, any kind of support group can be incredibly powerful. And, um, and I think on, you know, we're only starting to see more of that financially, you know, there are some folks who are doing, you know, financial support groups, but I think we'll continue seeing more of more of that in the future just because it is so helpful in so many other areas. And I know some, you know, of course, some companies are starting to integrate wellness, you know, financial wellness um, into as like a company benefit and providing education to their employees. So I, I think that it's, you know, it's starting to spread that. Um, and also it just gives you the ability to reach more people. There's only so many folks that you can work with one on one, whereas and it's one of the things I actually love about writing or you know, podcasting or, 
um, creating videos, you can reach so many folks that way where it's, you know, it's harder to do that on a one-on-one. There's only so many hours in the day. So working with a group can be incredibly impactful that way too. No, no doubt about it. No doubt. And taking advantage of technology to do that and get, get the message out, um, is an incredibly powerful thing. So I, I appreciate that. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about mindfulness and and being mindful, particularly we're talking about this mindful spending journal. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I have a free uh, on my site. If you look on the sidebar, um, you'll see a box and it just goes to a free, it's a free download. And um, there's some information actually in the blog post that kind of shares how to use it. But I actually developed that with my sister, who um, is a clinical social work grad student working on becoming a therapist and who worked in um, clinical psychology for 10 years at New Harbinger, a publishing company. So she's pretty much read, (laughs) she's pretty much read like every book on, you know, that they put out on mindfulness over the, you know, that 10 period, 10 year period of time that she worked there. And so she had access to all kinds of workbooks. And so she was able to help me, um, put together some exercises. Um, you know, of course, mental health is something I'm interested in, but not an area that I have tons of training in. So it's it's great to pull her in and get her expertise on the, on the subject. But really, I mean, it's really about, it's, it's a 30 day taking a look at where the money is going. It's, it's, in my mind, something that you could do before you even really start getting serious about budging. It's more about just looking at kind of where are things going? What are you spending money on and how do you feel about it? And it really is that simple. It's just a matter of making sure that you're following through and doing it, right? Absolutely. And, and I know that, you know, one of the things is, of course, you may you may uncover some things you don't expect as you're jotting things down on a daily basis. You may, you know, some feelings that you weren't expecting may come up. And part of the journal is sort of writing those things down and saying, oh, wow, you know, I got stressed out and I went and, you know, bought something online or I I went and bought some food that I didn't need to because, you know, I just was feeling kind of busy and maybe I was feeling bad about something else and I spent money unknowingly. And again, that's just the whole, no, the whole purpose of the journal is sort of just jotting those things down over the course of 30 days and then seeing what kinds of patterns you discover about yourself and then looking at those things when you go to form your, you know, when you go to create your own budget, let's say that you're starting completely from scratch. I think it's a great place to start um, because honestly, a lot of times why budgeting fails is just because some of those you know, the behavioral and emotional parts of spending money just aren't really looked at. And so I think it's just a great first step for anyone who wants to get their money under control. Maybe they know they're spending more than they're earning and they want to do something about it and they want to know why. And recognizing patterns that we all certainly have is going to be absolutely integral to making any kind of a change. And the only way that you recognize a pattern is if you try to find it. So... So being able to do that and tracking your spending on on a daily basis for a month, I think that that's that's a, a great way to to get started instead of just trying to go, for lack of a better term, cold turkey and start a brand new budget. And I think that your odds of being successful sticking to that long term are probably going to be less than if you mm-hmm. took this step first. 
Yeah. And I've seen some evidence with some of the the folks that I've worked with on for debt coaching. Um, there's been evidence that, you know, even things like using cash only versus a credit card, um, to help, you know, again, building awareness of sort of where the money is going. There's something that is more painful (laughs) about, taking dollar bills out of your wallet and handing them over. And so it's, it's really in for me anyway, I I know like a lot of people, I I tend to overspend on, you know, going to the bar or going to a restaurant. And there was something for me about just going, if I was at a bar, I said, you know, I really don't need that second glass of wine, or maybe I don't need that appetizer or whatever it may be. Um, but just again, building that awareness, I really think is an incredibly important step to getting budgeting under control. And that is, uh, I'm sure that there is deep psychology and it's probably in our DNA of handing over currency in exchange for something. But when it's in the form of a card or some kind of electronic payment, it is greatly lessened. I totally agree with you. And I think it's been proven that that we overspend when we use cards versus cash. But, yep. Absolutely. Uh, so Yeah, and an, another really interesting thing too is... Um, a couple of a couple of folks who I'm big fans of their work. You may know them, um, uh, Dr. Ted Klontz and and Bradley Klontz. Um, it's a father and son duo who are sort of, uh, in terms of behavioral finance, they were one of the first. I believe they were one of the first um, couple of folks who published a study on behavioral how you know how we spend our money that wasn't related to gambling. Um, this is what Dr. Klontz said at a meeting I went to recently, and he basically said that our brains are hardwired we're still in survival mode, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, we're still in survival mode. So things happen and it makes it really tough to make smart financial decisions. You know, you kind of, it really just narrows your, it narrows your focus when you kind of get, you feel threatened in some way. Um, which is just what's so fascinating about, um, again, why we make the spending choices that we do and sort of where that came, where that came from. Yeah. I think that that's a hundred percent correct that if you we're able to peel back the layers and get down to our DNA and our genetics that we are still every day in survival mode. So nice. Absolutely. Yeah. So just kind of staying on that topic of, of behavioral finance and, and being mindful. What what about the idea or the thoughts behind the behavioral aspect of paying off debt? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, so there's, of course, there's several, you know, several strategies, everything, you know, the two popular strategies that a lot of folks suggest are, you know, the debt snowball or the, um, the debt avalanche or the debt snowball. And the, um, the avalanche of course would be, you know, going after the, the biggest, um, the biggest debt that you have and just aggressively paying that down as quickly as possible versus the snowball, which is going after this, you know, you're looking at a number of debts that you have and taking that smallest one, moving, moving your way up. And, and what I meant, the first thing I left off was of course, going after the highest interest rate. Um, but again, it's, it's, I see a lot of, I guess, hacks, if you will. I see app, you know, apps that you can have on your phone and and things that you can use to sort of trick yourself into say paying off debt or trick yourself into spending less money. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, you, you really learn from the, the pain of just sitting down and doing it. Um, you know, obviously it's, there's a number of reasons why, why folks get into debt in the first place, but you know, an example of someone say paying off student loans, you just learn so much more from, from sitting down and and having to, to like, you know, cut back on things in a significant way in order to, you know, to reach those goals. 
Um, and there's no, again, number of ways to do it, but I do think that there's something about, um, again, kind of the pain of going through it that kind of, you know, reprograms your brain in some way to try to, you know, to try to avoid maybe getting into that situation again, you know, if possible, of course things happen, but for, if it was something that was say like a consumer debt type situation, it may be helpful to kind of go through the pain of having to, you know, cut back on everything else in order to meet those goals. Right. There's so many different ways to look at it. And I, I agree with you just realizing that you're going to get better the same way that you got sick, which is just a little bit of a little bit at a time, which is what we were talking about earlier with, with incremental change. So I'd not heard of the debt avalanche. Is that just somebody who was irritated with Dave Ramsey and went the opposite way? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. I'm not sure where it came from. I, what I like about the debt avalanche is I love the idea of paying off the, you know, the highest interest rate first, of course, because it does save more money over the life of the debt. Um, however that, but that can be really hard for people though. You know, it, it's hard to say it's obviously with the debt snowball, the small wins along the way, make you feel good and you want to keep going. Whereas the debt avalanche, maybe you have this gigantic student loan and a really high interest rate and you're paying it down and it takes a long time to get there. Um, you know, that can be, it can be discouraging and hard to, you know, I, I think, I think celebrating the wins along the way is really important, whether you be, you know, no matter what you're talking about, whether it be paying off debt or trying to lose weight or any type of change or goal that you're working towards, um, just so that it's sustainable. Right. And perhaps you and I can come up with somewhere in the middle, like a debt snowbank or something like that, or maybe even shift away from, from, from cold weather stuff. Who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to do it. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's what works for you. You know, there's, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule of what you have to do. I think you have, whatever it may be, the thing that you stick with, um, is the right thing for you. That's hundred percent. i I always would, would rather be useful than be brilliant. So whatever works for people that gets the job done is certainly what I'm a fan of. So, well, Kate, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So it's really tough to think about the future when you're trapped in the grind of, of day-to-day. You know, we're, again, going back to the survival mode I talked about earlier. You're in the grind of day-to-day, um, and it's hard to think about anything past just getting through that day, you know, getting your job done, you know, whatever that may be that you have right in front of you. Um, but there is evidence that visualizing your future self can help you reach your financial goals. And so it was just fascinating, um, you know, say like visualizing yourself as an older person, you know, in retirement or even just visualizing yourself 10 years from now where you want to be. Um, it can be really powerful. So people have done things like vision boarding. Um, but even if that's not your thing, you could do something like changing your desktop background. I know of some financial planners who will have their clients put like, you know, a picture of their kid on the front of the financial plan, which I think is really powerful and impactful. Or whatever it may be for you, you know, maybe it's a family, maybe it's you're working towards a vacation, maybe you want to buy a home or pay off debt, whatever it may be, having some sort of visual cue that you can see on a daily basis, desktop background, or maybe even just jotting down a few words on a sticky note and putting it on your bathroom mirror 
um, you really would be amazed with the power of, um, daily reminders, visual daily reminders. And you can see that it's much easier to reach those, those future goals and think about those choices that you're making on a day-to-day basis and whether they're serving those future goals. So that would be my tip that I would recommend. I think that is great stuff. And that definitely warrants, come on, come on. So thank you for that. And again, I, 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 couldn't agree with you more. We need to remind ourselves because when we are in that daily grind, it is tough to uh, tough to see past that sometimes. So, absolutely. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Yeah, so you can visit my site, CashvilleSkyline.com. That's like Nashville, but cash. And then you can also follow me on at Cashville Sky on Twitter. You can follow me on at Cashville Sky on Facebook. Uh, you can follow me at Kate Door on Instagram. Um, and I think that's there may be some other channels too, but those are certainly the the ones that I'm most active on, and probably LinkedIn as as well. Toss that one in there. Um, but yeah, I have an email list and a number of free tools on my site. So feel free to to dig in and take whatever you'd like and, and feel free to email me if you have any additional questions. I'm always happy to help. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, showcase your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to cashvilleskyline.com. Follow her on all these social media sites. And I know that I was on her site earlier today and can definitely vouch for the quality and, and the great tools that she has available. So thank you again, Kate. Awesome. Thanks for having me, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!